Bismillahirrahmanirrahim ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammedin ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. Peace and love, y'all. I'm Brother Ali. It's the Traveler's Podcast. This is the first week that I've actually said that and there hasn't been music on these episodes and I haven't been talking about our sponsors and they haven't really come out on the regular Mondays that they normally do. And, you know, the situation in Palestine honestly has derailed things a little bit and has really kind of taken me out of my normal space in terms of how I communicate with you. And um, I think it's to be understood, you know, it's to be expected. I, I just couldn't continue in our normal vein. You know, I, I, I wasn't just going to pretend that what what's happening uh, just a couple hours from where I'm at. Like I live in Istanbul, Turkey. You know, so I'm living in between these two zones. Uh, I had the blessing of talking to Dave Chappelle uh, while Ukraine was going on. I, he, I was uh, talking to Mo Amer and Dave was with him. He put him on the phone. And the first thing Dave said is, how do the rumblings of war sound like from where you are? Because I was, we're right next door to Ukraine. You know, I mean, that's a, that would be like, for me, it would be like the flight from when I used to live in Minneapolis to go to Chicago or maybe to go to New York or Texas or something like that. It's like, it's a two hour flight from me. And um, Palestine is the same. And, um, you know, I've had friends that have been through crazy things and have been part of calamities and tragedies, uh, you know, and they, a lot of times they'll say that they don't necessarily like it when someone says, well, like, well, I was almost part of that. And it's like, okay, but other people really were. So, but I have never been to Palestine. And of the most sacred sites for Muslims in the world, the first are Mecca and Medina, and the third is Palestine, is Jerusalem, um, the area that's known as Al-Quds, which is like a, it's kind of like a complex, you know. And there are several mosques in that area, and it's an extremely important spiritual place and historical place for Muslims as it is for Jews and Christians. Um, and it's one of the things that we take a lot of pride in in Islamic history is that certain sects of Christianity, European Christianity, the Crusaders and the Roman Catholic Church um, were oppressing uh, Muslims and the Jewish community, particularly in that part of the world. And the Muslims, because there was a caliphate, uh, because they had a global network of people that not only did business together and did religious life and had culture, but they also were a military presence, that the Muslims actually were able to be the custodians and the governors of that land a couple times. And during that time, they took immense pride in the fact that Judaism is a recognized religion by Islam, that those prophets are our prophets. And when we pray all of our prayers, uh, we end our, the, on the last like unit, you see Muslims stand and bow and prostrate, put our face on the floor and then sit. And in that sitting, we make a prayer that Allah bless the Prophet Muhammad and have peace upon him and also his family. And then also, and we say in the same breath, and bless Abraham and the people of Abraham, the family of Abraham, which includes all of the prophets and all the descendants and also the tribes, uh, you know, of you know, the Jewish tribes. And it also includes 
Jesus himself, peace be upon him, who we recognize as the Messiah. And so all of these religions are valid religions to us. And we believe that there will always be Jewish people and there will always be Christians. And a part of our history and part of our pride in our history is that we respect uh, Jewish religious practice and cultural practice and when certain elements within the Christian world, you can't just say Christianity as though it's all a monolith. It's not. Um, and so while we love, believe and love the religion of Christianity, we have major theological differences. So Muslims don't believe in the Trinity. We believe in Jesus, but we don't believe in divinity of Jesus. Uh, we love his mother. We consider her also to be a saintly person who got was had a very direct communication with God and received revelation and things like that um and there are some you know scholarly differences about what that actually means there are people in the Islamic tradition that consider her to be among the prophets um you know so we love we love her we believe we believe that Jesus is the Messiah we don't believe that he was crucified um, there are just, you know, there, so there are major differences there, but we do believe in Jesus. We believe that Christianity is a valid religion. We love that religion. Um, you know, the, the Muslims believe that when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, came and the, the revelation of the Quran came, uh, that it was uh, unique in the sense that each of the prophets that came, and, and the Quran describes that there were reminders and prophets and messengers, people that came to all of the peoples of the world, and they came speaking their tongue, and they came communicating the, to them uh, in their own context. And every one of them had a, uh, a, a true and a virtuous and a righteous and a valid communication and relationship with the divine. Um, but each of those messengers came for their people in their time. And the Muslims are going to believe things about our prophet and about our book that not everybody's going to believe. That's the diversity of religion. Uh, but what we believe is that when the prophet Muhammad came, peace be upon him, he was the, the last of the prophets and that he's and messengers and that he is the one who brought a message that's for all people and that his community from the beginning was diverse. There were people of different cultures, all colors, um, you know, that were part of his early community. Um, and so, and we believe that this is the religion for mankind, for human beings, for the human family. Um, and so there are those that will say that if a person is aware of Islam, uh, then, the, then that should come and that a person would embrace Islam. And we know a lot of people that from the time of Islam's early presence in that part of the world, uh, even when the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was invited to the city of Yathrib that became now known as Medina, uh, that city was a really highly populated with, by J the Jewish community and that they invited him. And he made a treaty with them when he came that they asked him to be the governor of that city. And he said, Jewish people will have their religion protected by us. They will have their holy sites and their um, their uh, synagogues, their places of worship will be protected by us. They are fully supported in practicing their religion. In areas of their religion, they'll actually, when they go to court, they'll go to Jewish courts. And the same was true for Christians. Now, a lot of those people did actually recognize him 
as a prophet and that there are descriptions of uh, messengers coming later, both in the Old Testament or the Jewish Bible and the New Testament or the Gospels or the Christian Bible, that, you know, people that believe in the prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, it's like, oh, that's who, that's who it's talking about. And so there were Christians and Jewish people that said, this is the prophet that we were expecting. And so they actually became Muslims. And if their language and culture was Arabic, um, they also would be Arab Jews, or they would become in, into the fold of Islam. Remember, everybody that's Muslim, there's this kind of weird conflation. It's not weird. It's very intentional. The idea that Arab means Muslim um, is just not true, or that Palestinian means Muslim, and it's not true. There's a lot of, in all of these lands where the Muslims were the rulers, there was a protection of Christianity and Judaism. So here in Istanbul, uh, me and a group of brothers today just went to this really dope neighborhood called Kadikoy, which is... There's a, there's a church there, and the church bells ring, and it's funded by the government. The head of the Greek Orthodox Church is in Istanbul, um, and there are mosques here, and there are uh, you know societies of, Arab, of Christians and Jews here in Istanbul, and the same is true in Egypt, and the same is true in most of the Muslim world, it, and it was especially true when the Muslims were controlling the Iberian Peninsula, for 700 years, 800 years, when the Muslims were in control there. And so, you know, the, the, uh, many of the people that were Jewish converted to Islam just became Muslim and also Christians and others. And it continues to happen. Um, you know, there's a large number, actually, of Jewish American um, families that converted to Islam in the 70s, like white Jewish people from America, that when... Uh, like the Beatles, for example, went to India and they got gurus. There was a bunch of like, you know, people from the hippie generation, the counterculture generation that also started traveling east. And a lot of them uh, did the, the, uh, the certain railway that went through places like North Africa. So they went to Morocco, they went to Tunisia, they went to Algeria, they went to Turkey, and then they would, they would continue on into uh, into India, and a lot of them became Muslims, and a lot of them were really influenced by these Sufi Muslim traditional cultures like Morocco and like Turkey. And so there actually were a, a large number of white Jewish families that converted there during that time. Um, if you're familiar with my brother Minister series, I made a song called, uh, one of those called I Was There. It's like these one minute self-produced homemade songs that I do. One of them was called I Was There. And one of our elders, whose name was Baba Shems Friedlander. So his name is Shems Friedlander. This is a, this is a Jewish, white, white Jewish American brother from New York. Um, he it was an amazing artist. Allah have mercy on him. Beautiful man. Uh, he was an artist. He actually did photography and graphic design. Um, before he was Muslim, he did the graphic design for a Malcolm X record that's really famous and it's been sampled in hip hop, like a vinyl record in the 70s that he did graphic design for. He ended up becoming a Muslim. He met the uh, some people from Turkey when they came to New York. He met them. He fell in love with them. He met their sheikh. And he actually moved to Istanbul. And the first time I ever came to Istanbul, we visited 
the like the Sufi lodge of this order that he was part of called the Jarahis. Uh, part of their lineage is from Rumi himself. And this man, Shems Friedlander, um, was an elder in the community that was highly loved and you know he and he lived in Istanbul and uh, so we got to go and visit him there and uh, he passed away and he's actually buried in the courtyard of Rumi he's buried very close to the great Islamic scholar and poet and lover and jurist Rumi and he's it's very rare that people are that that's the situation you know but i was really blessed to not only be there in that lodge with him when he was alive and well and providing guidance for people and highly loved and celebrated and i also like his son is one of my really dear friends named Nuri Friedlander really beautiful educator beautiful brother i love this guy um you know but when he he passed I was able to go to the lodge and they and they actually the the people in his order um you know opened they opened his uh we we're not buried in in coffins and caskets but we're transported in them and so they opened it and we just are wrapped in like a white garment and they wrapped him and they prayed over him and so I was there with his sons and his best friend who's another white american brother um you know named Harun Sugic Michael Sugic Sugic they, they lived together like you know had different apartments in the same building and so I was really blessed to be part of that you know there's also a uh, a muslim there's a muslim american white his parents are are jewish converts from from Pennsylvania his name is Ahmed Weinberg hilarious comedian look this brother up Ahmed Weinberg you know in the in the 70s 80s his parents were jewish americans that converted i have a dear friend by the name of uh, abdullah lipton uh who's a jewish american convert a lot there there are muslim scholars like well known like muslim jurists and scholars that are convert so i mean it's a, it's a ever going continuous reality you know uh that have that have always been part of the muslim world and um you know so i i live in this in this part of the world you know and i live in between the ukraine and palestine i was actually i was just saying that my wife and i actually were going to do our first trip to palestine there's a a really important amazing community organizer educator professor named dr rami nashashibi who's palestinian american from the south side of chicago his his family is from old bethlehem and uh they went through the nakba and everything else and they live on the south side of chicago and so rami is one of these people who does organizing in the black community on the south side of chicago and is one of these like living links you know and and bonds he also does a lot of work in atlanta and a lot of the muslim artists our so much of our connection is fostered by Rami and by the work that he does at a group called Iman Inner City Muslim Action Network so people like Mamouna Yusuf and Amir Suleiman and Azhar Usman and Mo Amer and Preacher Moss and you know the list goes on and on and on and on we're connected through this organization called Iman and their leader Dr. Rami Nashashibi 
So one of the things that Rami has always highlighted is the really deep historical connection between black and native people in America and in, you know, under white supremacy, under colonial white supremacy, and the people in Palestine, the Palestinians, the very, very deep bond that they have. And I just saw a clip on social media where um, people were showing the Black Lives Matter signs in Palestine and showing the, uh, you know, the, the murals painted of, um, you know, of people that have been killed by the black people that have been killed by the police in America, this like hundreds of years legacy, you know, and George Floyd specifically. And um, so Dr. Rami Neshashibi was, he did a trip, uh, the, what we hope is the first annual uh, black Palestine tour where he brought an interfaith group of black American ministers and imams and artists and all of these people to go to Palestine and be welcomed by the black community in Palestine. And also because there are black Palestinians, Palestinians are also not all what people think of as being Arabs. You know, the, the Arabs of the time of the prophet Muhammad didn't look like they look now. Arab is a culture it's a language, uh, it's a certain way of being, and there are as many colored Arabs as there are Puerto Ricans, as there are Americans, as there are, you know, many of these uh, cultural groups have a diversity within them. You know, uh, it's, it's just a reality that the world is something of a mixed group of people, and there, it's a, there's a crucible of of uh, layers and nuance within the human family. And this exists in so many, you know, people. So there are black Palestinians uh, and there are Ethiopian Jews and there are Europeans and there are some that are very light. And in almost all of these cultures throughout the world, the idea of white supremacy has crept in. And so you'll hear people describe uh, in all of these groups, including Israel, including Palestine, including that including the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico and Mexico and America, and that you'll find that there will be this, this kind of idea of white supremacy where there will be people that will, uh, you know, the lighter-skinned people will be treated better than others. It exists in India. This is an idea that's been spread all over the world. And one of the things that the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, he's the first person to say this publicly in human history that's been recorded but probably all the messengers and the prophets said something very similar. But in his time, his group was a diverse group. And he said there's no superiority in his last speech, in his last address to the people. He said there's no superiority of black over white or white over black or an Arab over a non-Arab or a non-Arab over an Arab. So dealing with color and dealing with culture, that the human being's relationship to God which is what dictates and, and really determines, uh, you know, their virtue is uh, that's that's what uh, is the real value of a human being and really determines that's our way of looking at who's who and what's what is like, what's your relationship to the world of meaning? Whether you say God, whether you say Allah, whether, you know, there are people that prefer to say the universe. Do you believe in a source of right and wrong? And what's your relationship with that reality? That's what we call in Islam, in the language of the Quran, is called taqwa. And that's belief in that thing is called iman. And then this feeling that like I am very capable of 
of disappointing and even making the divine angry if I were to violate the sanctity of life and of, of you know, the divine, then I am, I am at risk. And so that consciousness, that God consciousness, that, that type of spirituality in, Islam, in the Islamic tradition in the Quran is called taqwa. And it's translated to be God-fearing, but it also means to be aware, to have that like deep reverence and awareness that knows the human condition and how in danger all of us are. Every single human being is in danger of being an oppressor. No one is excluded from that. Nobody is outside, whether it's an individual or a religious group, or nobody is free from uh, the, the need to be accountable, the need to be criticized, the need for the truth to be told, you know. And I'll get to this in a second, I think. I, I just, lately, I've just been turning the mic on and starting to talk. But nobody is, is, is exempt from that. And the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the Muslims believe that this is a, this, we believe that the prophets are infallible people, that they're perfect people. And if you don't believe that, you're not a Muslim, and that's fine. But we do believe that. We believe that Abraham and Moses, and also people like Mary, the, the mother of Jesus, people like uh, Asia, who was the wife of the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh, that this particular Pharaoh, not all the Pharaohs, but one particular Pharaoh is the archetype of oppressors. And he, and he is considered to be one of the evil people in the Islamic tradition. He's the one that Moses was talking to. We believe Moses to be an infallible, perfect example. And it just means that there are people that the divine, that, that God, that the creator wills into being and creates that are just straight examples of what a human being could be if we could get it right. And that's what the project of spirituality and religion is about, is trying to get it right. It is not claiming to be perfect. And so in the Islamic tradition, we're warned not to be like communities before us, that there were people who believed that if I just, have, if I just believe in a savior, then I go to heaven no matter what, then God will approve of me no matter what. And there were people that believed if I'm from a certain tribe, that I will be from a special group of people no matter what. The Quran says, Allah says in the Quran, that's their wishful thinking and warns the Muslims not to be like that. And we do find that within the Muslim world, there are people who believe that because maybe they're from the same culture and speak the same language as the Prophet Muhammad, that they have this feeling that like, well, of course we're Muslims and we can do no wrong. And it's not true. You find the rest of the Muslim world. Most of the Muslim world aren't Arab. And so you'll see that there's like an Arab supremacy within the Muslim world, that there's a lot of conversation from within about, you know, do, especially for black Muslims. You know what I'm saying? They're like, does that mean I have to be an Arab? Dr. Sherman Jackson says, I'm a Muslim. I believe in the Quran. I believe in the, the idea, the, the, the Quran's description of the divine. I believe in the Prophet Muhammad and the message. I believe in the moral code of Islam. I believe in the spiritual purification of Islam. I love this religion. I'm a Muslim. Does not mean that I need to be an Arab. Thank you very much. He didn't change his name. His name is Dr. Sherman Jackson. And I love him beyond words. He's so dope. He dresses fly, talks beautifully, and you're not punking him. You're not bullying him. You're not canceling him. He's a very, very beautiful person. You know what I'm saying? And, 
You have others that, that speak about this thing as well, that have talked about this for years. Imam Warathuddin Muhammad, the largest leader of Muslims in America, led the largest movement of Muslims in America that's almost completely unacknowledged. And that was my first, uh, that was the community that I became converted in. The son of Elijah Muhammad, who encouraged Malcolm X to study more traditional Islam. Uh, he was the teacher and the spiritual guide of Muhammad Ali when Muhammad Ali made that transition. Um, Minister Farrakhan you know, and the Nation of Islam represent a, a, a group that took a divergent path, but those communities are family, and I consider that community to be my family, and I love them. You know, we have different beliefs. You know, there's differences even in, within that theology. But you just, and you see Minister Farrakhan also really talking about uh, certain Arab teachers and how they, they don't uh, like necessarily respect and acknowledge black Muslims. You know what I mean? Uh, the, all these things are true. There's like so many levels and layers of nuance within all of these different communities and these different experiences. And so, you know, we're actually warned though about about really other religious groups. And it's possible to affirm somebody's right to have a difference of opinion, to have a different belief, and to still have love between those people. I have family members, my favorite family, you know, you got families within your larger family. There's like a certain uncle and his wife and kids, there are a certain auntie or whatever, certain grandmother. Within my family, my larger extended family, I have a part of that family were evangelical Christians. My uncle was, you know, the rock of their family and his wife and like, and they, he died. He died of cancer around the same time that my dad did. This guy and his family, they're, they're evangelical Christians. They believed in their tradition, in their religion says that me and my family, my wife and my kids, if we didn't accept their particular uh, theology that we were going to hell. Now, Islam doesn't necessarily Islam doesn't believe that. Islam that we talked I talked last week about our theology. Islam doesn't believe that only Muslims go to heaven. It doesn't mean that you go to hell if you're not Muslim. There's conversation within that. If a person were to hear the message of Islam that there's one God and that all people have equal access to God. Uh, that God is not a thing or somebody's specific cultural idea. All human beings have equal, like we we know and worship Allah, the one and you know the the one universal source, unseen universal source of all things. That all of us have an equal opportunity for a religion, for a relationship with the divine, and that you know, so and that there are examples, there are living examples of what that, or there were, they're not now, but there were living examples of what it could be to, to just genuinely be the best of, hu of what a human being is, and that the rest of us are all struggling. If a person sees Islam for what it is and then rejects that, no, God has to be my, my people's thing. My culture has a better right to God. Or God has to be a man that looks like my people. Or God has to be a man, period. Or God has to be a thing. Or God... A person has to deal with the the unseen universal source of it all. When they die, that we are it's just us and what we who we were, what we believe, what we did, what our impact was, what our heart was like. It's just us and God. 
dealing like working all that out. And we pray that Allah has mercy on us. We want mercy. Because if we're real, we know that we have violated it all. Like we have, we lived with a lot of contradictions, a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of just straight up just being whack. We all know that. Like if we're sincere, we know that. Sincerity is based on that. Sincerity is about being, having a singularity of intention that like if I'm sincere with, uh, you know, with the divine, it's like in all moments I will be doing what I'm doing just for the sake of the divine. And the Prophet Muhammad said, I'm not worried, peace be upon him, I'm not worried that my community is going to like worship rocks and stone. But I, but there's a smaller type of idolatry that says, if I'm doing something religious or something good or something of service or something noble, that when I know people are watching me, I get a little boost of energy and I start performing. When, when, my, it, when religion becomes performative or when speaking the truth or acts of service, we all know what this is like. You might not be religious, but it's like some people are doing good and it's clearly there's a level of performance to it. We're like, you want us all to see how good you are. All of us have this as part of human condition. The prophets didn't have this. People like, you know, uh, Khadija and Aisha and Mary and Asia, those women didn't have this. Men like Moses and Muhammad and Noah, they didn't have this. The other unnamed uh, prophets, messengers, reminders, they didn't have this. The rest of us are struggling with this. The, the people that are alive at this moment, we're all struggling with this. So it's like, it's part of the human condition, you know, and the project of religion is about really trying to get to that. And if we're, and so we can be misguided within our religion. We can also understand its real warning to us. So all of this is, is possible. And man, I'm saying a lot, I'm saying a lot, but I say all this to say that I live in this part of the world. I come from this tradition, and it's it, it really has a great depth of meaning. And so when we enter this this particular kind of season or like this this um, these past few weeks, you know, I didn't just want to keep on talking about um, what we normally talk about. Like I wanted to focus on it. And I, I was saying, what I was saying is that we were supposed to be, I'm sorry, I normally, I, I do a lot of tangents and so I normally can keep track of them. There's a lot going on in my head and heart right now. But uh, we were going to go with Dr. Rami Neshashibi to uh, Philistine and we were going to be there on this black, uh, this black Philistine tour. So he brought a bunch of people together that were going to be, um, that were going to be on this trip. The only reason, and they were there. They were there in, in the first week of October when the, the, the attack happened and then when the bombing happened and all that stuff. And they were able, everybody got out. Everybody was able to be home. The only reason my wife and I didn't go, Dr. Rami called me and said, I want you to go on this trip. And people like him, people like Dr. Rami Neshashibi, it's just like, I am so grateful to be considered a friend by a man like him. I mean, he, he is truly... In my mind, he is as great a man as, like, the, a historically great man. Up there with the other names. Now, he he wouldn't want that said. He doesn't see himself that way. 
you know, um, I also know people that work with him very directly. I knew people that worked with some of our heroes very directly. And they're like, okay, yes, the work that so-and-so great public leaders, you know, activist, civil rights leader, politician, the work that they did was amazing. Working with them every single day wasn't always easy. And Dr. Rami will be the first person to be like, man, I am a, I'm hard to deal with sometimes. And I've never seen that part of him, but I believe him. Because that's, that's how great people are a lot of the time. But man, he would never say that about himself, but I'm saying that he is as great a person as I will ever encounter. And he invited me and my wife to go on this trip. And the only reason we didn't go is because we're applying for another year of residency in Istanbul. And you got to stay in the country while you're doing that. So if you're a person that prays, uh, please pray for us that we're able to stay for another year. And I'm about to go on tour with the Grouch in a few weeks, and I need to get that notification before I leave for tour. If they say no, you got 10 days to get out of the country. So if we get a no, then this apartment we've been living in the last three years, this office and studio that I'm sitting in right now, we have to clear it all out and get out of here in 10 days. Um, you know, there's a lot of nuance everywhere. Istanbul is a country that's half believing, practicing Muslim and half secular. And the secular people are not, a lot of them anyway, are nationalists and they don't like foreigners being here. They think that foreigners are a big part of the problem with the economy and things like that. And they don't want us to be here. They think that their position is that we're gentrifying and changing the culture, whether it's the whether it's the uh, refugees from Syria, Afghanistan. I mean, some of them, not everybody, but some of the people even that were running for public office were saying, we're not going to let, you know, the Americans, the Russians. So they're, they're, on the one hand, there's like Russians and Americans and people like that that come with money, whether it's a little bit or a lot. And then there's refugees that come without money. And they say like, everybody's got to go, you know? So there are people that feel that way. And so... It just kind of depends on who gets our file and, you know. So we're, we're praying and we hope that we get to stay here for another year. We love this place very much. Um, but that's a whole other thing. But that's the only reason that we weren't there. And, you know, I, you, didn't, you never want to center yourself in these kind of things because, like, there's a major global catastrophe happening, Um you know, literally 10,000 people have lost their lives and, uh, you know, and their water has been cut and their electricity has been cut and they keep cutting their internet so they can't even communicate with the world. And, uh, you know, all of these atrocities, a humanitarian historic level atrocity, is uh, atrocities are being committed. And... I mean, these are people that I've been connected to for 30 years, you know, when uh, if you go back and watch or if you feel like it, what I said when when the Black Lives Matter stuff, we lived in South Minneapolis when the uprising around George Floyd was happening. And there were people are saying like, oh, you know, these people are just being riled up by the media. And like, no, if you live in or with the black community for your lifetime, like I have, you know, you know that police brutality is a very real thing. And you know that the risk of death and people being murdered and nobody caring about it and just being, 
brutalized and harassed and oppressed. And I mean, the, just the number of dogs that I've seen police kill in the hood, people just rolling up and like, they come to your house, the police come to your house and maybe they're there to arrest somebody or look for somebody and they just kill your dog. It just happens all the time. It's like, these are the things that aren't talked about a lot, but I've just seen police murder people's pet in plain daylight and just go home. Like there's not a, there's no protest. There's no whatever. These are the types of things you see on a regular basis. You know, I've just seen, you know, from the time I was really young, I've seen, a, I've seen white adults beat up my black f teenage friends. Um, just things that you see and know all the time. But the dominant culture, the white world that doesn't live with the black community doesn't know that and doesn't see it. So they're unaware until they see it in the news and then their filter, what they learn about it is through however the news is covering it. And then also whichever news stream they subscribe to, that's where they're getting their, not their information. And so they believe that, you know, the people that are, that are saying like, I don't like, I don't like uprisings. I don't like buildings being burned. I don't like that type of thing. But I understand that this is what happens when people are stolen from their land, robbed of their names and their culture, um, families broken up. Uh, I know also, because I go to West Africa, like what the, what was lost during all of that. I know about that. Like I have, there are families in the Gambia and West Africa that I go and visit. I know a little bit about what it means to be a Mandinka, to be, you know, these different peoples. You know what I'm saying? I know that stuff. I didn't learn about it on TV. Like that's part of my life. It's a, it's a big major part of my life, you know? And I'm saying, I know something about their oppression just because even loving people, even speaking and even making music and like even traveling around... I'm harassed just from loving those people. So it's like I like I get bothered and my life gets I get messed with in my real life. I'm in danger just from loving them. Just from being in the car with them, just from being in the mosque with them, just from being around them. So it's like I know how real that is and the news didn't tell me about that. Well, this is another one. I've known Palestinians since I was 15 years old. I've known Palestinians that have died in that in Gaza and in those conflicts. I know children, I know teenagers like me that came to visit their family in Minneapolis and then they go back to the West Bank or they go back to Gaza and they get murdered. They get killed. And there's even questions around like, and, and it just never gets acknowledged. I know people that have been imprisoned. I know people that have been harassed. I know families that have gone there and like pulled dead bodies out of, I, like have been bombed. I know, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, journalists, that have been put in, that have been imprisoned. You know what I'm saying? I, the Christian journalist, Shireen Abu Akleh, Allah have mercy on her, Christian Palestinian lady, was murdered, was uh, assassinated, you know, just assassinated. And initially they said, no, it was other Palestinians, it was friendly fire. And then, and then her funeral was, was uh, attacked. Her funeral procession was attacked. And this is a year and a half ago. You know, I've known about these things my whole life. I also, I was an imam at a mosque and I did interfaith work with, uh, and like humanitarian stuff, standing up for like housing rights and all this stuff alongside Jewish rabbis, men and women. There, there are certain, like the less orthodox communities have women rabbis. And 
you know, being at in their homes and like during their services and like high holy days, being invited and going to their synagogues and like being all up in that. And then also when I became a more Orthodox Muslim, only eating halal food, and it's hard to get in Minnesota, especially like good quality halal food. And so we can eat the food of the uh, uh, kosher food. We can eat Jewish people's food. And so knowing them and like knowing that, you know, being part of that as well is like the validity of my religion being directly linked to religious Jewish communities. And then being in the music business and not to echo a stereotype, but a lot of the people that I do the business side of things with are Jewish people, artists and business people talking about. Jake One and Alchemist and, you know what I'm saying, uh, Jordan Katz, my, the band leader, if you saw me, when I toured with Rakim and Ghostface, I talk about that tour all the time. Talk about when uh, when I had a band during the Morning in America album. My man Jordan Katz, you know what I'm saying, um, talking about uh, G Coop, you know, that replays uh, the samples and that that uh, made so much atmosphere music along with Ant, the whole All the Beauty in This Whole Life album. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm, I haven't talked about it, but I'm working on an album right now where the producer for the whole album is a Jewish brother. You know what I'm saying? Who married a Jewish lady and like this is a real thing. You know what I mean? This this is like, and 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 uh, Jewish folks have always been all up and through these cultural spaces, these business spaces. But then also when I did community organizing activism work, a lot of those people are also Jewish. You know what I'm saying? And... So I've known people that have done the birthright thing. I've known people that have, uh, and I mean, and I'm not just talking about peripheral people. I'm talking about Dante Ross is, of the white people that I've known in hip hop music, Dante Ross is probably the one that I respect the most. And Dante's, you know, Jewish, and I think I think he's Jewish and Irish. Um, but I'm, I mean, you know, this is real. This is a very real thing. And these are people and communities that I've been connected with for my whole life. When this thing came up, um, I'm, I'm going to tell you, so not to center myself, but I'm me. And I'm, you know, and I'm and it, on this, I turn these mics on and I share with you what's going on. For me, you know, there... I've always understood that speaking what I care about, and what do I care about? Humanity. And and, and any time somebody's humanity is in question, that's of particular interest to me. And the dominant narrative is usually against certain people, and I hope that my heart is always aligned with them. And so in cases where, um, you know, whoever it is, and there's there's consequences for saying those things, and I'm a person that I have. I'm, uh, my parents are white. You probably if you listen to this or listen to me or whatever, just in case you don't know, my parents are white. I'm albino. I was raised and loved by black people. I'm oversimplifying like crazy, and then that led to me being in hip hop. That led to me being a Muslim. So I'm part of all of the. I'm I'm very closely associated with and have done life with people whose humanity is not even in question, but it's just common knowledge among the dominant narrative in the world that they are not human enough to make decisions for themselves. They're not human enough to be trusted. They're not human enough to govern themselves. They're not human enough to know what they even need. 
black people, what, what, what the children of enslaved Africans throughout the diaspora and the entire world, it's just been the dominant narrative that they're not human and that's just normal. Not to mention being in a place where, you know, Europeans were being, these are the poor Europeans that were being persecuted because they weren't the right religion. They didn't have money. They didn't own land. They were indentured servants. They were, they were something like a slave class, even in Europe. Those people were fleeing that oppression. And Rezma Menachem, the great uh, um, racialized trauma specialist, says everything that white people did, white bodies, people that are called white, did to African people, to non-white people, to native people in once they got to America was done first to them by white people who were in power. So all that stuff about the Middle Ages and about you know, the medieval times and all that stuff, that was all done to them. They were tarred, feathered, lynched, castrated, burned at the stake, all of those kind of things. All those things that they eventually did to people when they got to America, they came to this new land saying, we want to be free. We want to have an opportunity to live outside of that oppression. And they really were oppressed and they really went through stuff. And they showed up and they met with a population of people that was diverse. Some of them wanted to share with them. Some of them said, yeah, you can come and live here. And we're talking about indigenous First Nations, Native American people, American Indians. That group of people has a history for welcoming other people. There was There's tremendous evidence that West Africans took thousands of ships from West Africa to what's now called America and lived amongst and traded amongst and married amongst the the First Nations peoples in what's now called America. So they knew how to live alongside other people. There's something about this white supremacist European thing, and I say that as the whitest white person. Not only are my family from, from England and Germany and like all this stuff, but I'm also albino. And that's the tradition that I come from. So when people are like, why don't you not denounce this and why don't you denounce that? I denounce what I'm part of, especially when the people that I'm associated with got the money and the guns and the bombs and the tanks and the airplanes and the chemicals and the the media. I'm talking about the global white power structure is controlling all that stuff has all of that. So I criticize what I'm part of, especially with what I'm part of has the upper hand. Uh, in terms of the narrative, in terms of the marketing, in terms of the, uh, the, the, the military, in terms of the money, in terms of those type of power. And I was raised in America. I was raised in a country that says it's a democracy and it's supposed to have freedom of speech. And if, if what they say is true, regardless of who we're talking about, you're supposed to be able to critique, hold accountable uh, disagree with and even condemn somebody's militarized power. What you do with your guns, your money, your media, your influence, I'm supposed to be able to critique that. And it doesn't mean that I hate your ethnic group. doesn't mean that I hate your religion. doesn't mean that I hate anybody. I hate certain actions. I hate injustice. And when there's a great deal of power, especially when it's tied and supported by uh, historical global colonizers, I'm allowed to oppose that without somebody thinking I hate them. And don't and, and to be accused of hatred in, in, in doing in opposing that when 
in my thing, what I'm, I'm motivated by love, and that's my currency. And sometimes love means defense. Sometimes love takes on a military form. Because when you love a people, you hate to see them suffer. And, I, and I'm, I'm okay with, and I'm just going to just share what's going on with my heart and my life. Not to center myself or make, make it seem like what I'm going through is worse than anybody else. There are people that are really losing their lives, really losing their loved ones, really losing their homes, really losing, losing their sense of freedom and security. What I'm going through, I'm just talking about me, is that that sense of love, the people that connect to me, is because you can feel that I love you. I do. I love you. I care about you. I'm concerned about you. When I speak for people, it's because I love them. And I love people just based on being human. That's enough for me. And my understanding of my tradition, the culture I was raised in, the musical, the, the, the legacy that, that raised me and adopted me and cared for me. Also, that like culturally and then also religiously. The Muslim community and the black community, these are the people that made me who I am. And these are people that my own biological and legal, like being white is a legal class of people who believe that they are the dominant uh, and they believe that they're the default uh, prime example of what a human being is. And the further you are from them, the, the more of a deviation you are from the, the utmost pinnacle of humanity. White people believe that they're the chosen people. They believe that they're special. So that's what I'm talking about. And I'm saying being legally and biologically connected to one group of people and with the Quran saying, stand out for justice as a witness before God, even if it's against yourself and your people and your ancestors. And whether you're talking about rich people or poor people, famous people or unknown people, people that are celebrated or people that are just, you know, barely even acknowledged to be human, you stand out. Stand up for justice no matter who it's for or who it's against. Justice is justice. And don't and you're gonna have personal, and this is what the Quran says. You're gonna have your personal preferences. You're gonna have your personal uh, prejudices. You're gonna be, your heart's gonna be more connected to some people than others. That's just part of being a human being. That's how love works. You love some people more than others, but you gotta tell the truth no matter what. And especially reminding us to do it when it's against ourselves and our people. And so that's what I've tried to live by. And I've I'm I've come to be comfortable within that. You know, and 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 Allah says, if you sway from justice, if you distort justice, if you decline justice, Allah is well aware of what you do. And I, as a Muslim, believe that me and everybody else are gonna die, and the world of forms is gonna fade away, and is and and any type of uh, affluence or good opinion of other people. It's going to be me naked and everything I did, the way of my heart was, the way I treated people, the, the things I said or didn't say, good, bad, ugly, and everything in between. It's going to be me naked with my deeds in front of the creator. And I'm asking for, just, for, for, for uh, mercy. And then everything is going to be meted out and everything's going to be worked out. And no one's going to get special treatment. It's all going to be, what was your relationship with the world of meaning? What was your relationship with the creator who's not interested in any of this material stuff? What's your relationship with God? And then what did you do in whatever situation you were in? So 
you know, I don't believe that, I don't believe it's over when my body dies. I know my body's going to die. I don't believe it's over. I believe that everything that I'm saying and doing and intending and praying for and supporting and speaking up for and being a part of, even if it's just in my heart, the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said, when, when one of you sees evil being done, change it with your hand. And if you can't, then with your tongue. And our scholars said, that means speak out against it. And if you can't, then with your heart. And our scholars say, and the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, says, that's the weakest form of faith. It's still faith if all you can do is just hate when somebody is wronged. You know what I'm saying? So people will look at the anger of, of oppressed people and say, you're hateful. And it's like, no, they're angry. Oppressed people are angry and they hate oppression. And anybody whose heart is alive hates oppression. Doesn't mean that you hate the, the, the entire group of people that's doing it in that moment. And every single person in every single group can be oppressors. Yes, you can be an oppressor. And if you've been oppressed in the past, it doesn't mean that your people can't be oppressed, oppressors because you've also been oppressed. Hurt people hurt people. Most of the people who have been harmed, most of the people that are harming and oppressing and hurting and abusing, if you look in their history, they've been oppressed and harmed and abused. I come from the biggest group of global network of oppressors and colonizers in the world. White people oppress the, there's not an inch of this globe that hasn't been affected by white supremacist, colonial, settler, occupier, uh, you know, people that take the resources and everything else. And that's not the way that everybody worked. There's this idea that, well, like everyone, isn't everyone like that? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. There were people who competed for which system will control things. You know what I'm saying? But it was not always like that where you completely dehumanize the people that you colonize and force them to be like you, to recreate the entire world in your image. No, I'm sorry. That's not what everybody did. That is, that is something that's a particular type. They had other ways of oppressing. You know what I'm saying? That that's a part of the human condition that we can be oppressors. But not everybody did that the same way. And I'm saying that as somebody who is legally and materially an inheritor of that. I am speaking against my own position. And I'm comfortable doing that because I'm going to die. And when I meet God, I'm not meeting God as a white man. I'm meeting God as a soul that in a body that was shown what I think, what seems to me, the world as it is. I was loved by a group of people, black people, uh, that everybody else felt like it's okay to just steal them, rob them of their culture, take them, and then they, what do they give back to the world? Have black people ever killed everybody? No. Have black people ever? No. What did they give back to the world? Art, culture, music, dance, food, but not only that, all of that is just the expression of the humanity and the heart and the reminder of what is a human being when you strip everything material away. And everybody that I know around the world is looking to that example, that, that global African diaspora example of what a human being is for the inspiration for how to get in touch with being human again. And then I became a Muslim, inspired by Malcolm X, inspired by Muhammad Ali, inspired by the great hip-hop artists that I love, and inspired by just people around the way. Elena Ramadan, you know what I'm saying? Uh, Arlene El-Amin, Wahida Kareem, uh, Ali Salam, 
Uh, you know what I'm saying? I could just go on and on naming all of these amazing women that I know, these amazing men that I know, you know what I'm saying, that are Muslim. And then I'm like, man, these people are figuring out what life is about. And what they gave back in return is it's not hate. There's anger. But I'm saying even the, even the Black Panthers, they weren't hateful people. They weren't motivated by hatred. That was, that was self-defense. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying, and, and, and even some of the most radical voices that you might say, well, that person hates everybody. Those people, I've hugged all those people. I've hugged all those people. And it's not me being a traitor. It's just me saying, hey, you got the right to your anger. You're a real person having a real experience. And I'm just not going to gaslight you about what is really has happened and it continues to happen every day. People are just so used to uh, First Nations people not having control of the land. They're just so used to white people controlling Yellowstone and the Grand Canyon and the water and the land and the trees and the, the lakes and the everything. They're just so used to that, that that's just normal. You know what I'm saying? That's not normal to me. Like I, I, I'm still living in a, I'm still living like, yo, I come from Minnesota. It's colonized land. You, you, my ancestors didn't have to go there and steal it. You could have just lived with everybody. You those people chose to steal it. Speak the truth as a, as a testimony before God. Stand out for justice, the Quran says, as a testimony before God. I'm going to go meet God when I die. That's what I believe. And I'm going to be naked with me and my intentions and my book of deeds and what I did, how I was to my wife, my kids, to my fans when I meet them, to the to poor, to homeless people when they approach me, to uh, drunk women when they fall asleep around me, to cats, to bugs, to the water, to the... I, I, I'm going to be asked about all of that. It doesn't mean that I'm better. I'm not saying I'm killing it. The Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him himself, asked for forgiveness. They said 70 times a day. They said 100 times a day. And we believe him to be a perfect a, a person that lived entirely for what the purpose of a human life was. But that was a, an example to all of us that we live in a constant need uh, of rectification. That should be our, 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 our natural state, our default as a human being. And so uh, it's not normal to me. And you look at like what, what society is like the, when you love and when you're loved by people who like the whole world says, you're not worthy of controlling yourself. And you look at the black community now and it's like people are just so used to uh, black people not being sovereign and being able to just control their own lives. And all these people say, well, black people should have done this, just blaming them for everything. You should have done this. You should have done that. What's up with the black family? Get out of here with that mess, man. People just don't know. Black people were getting married. Enslaved Africans were marrying each other, were trying to raise their children, and were broke that the institution of slavery separated them intentionally. They jumped over brooms when people didn't let them get legally married to try to be... and then. Intentionally, the strongest men, it was like the strongest men in the, in the culture, we're going to break them. We're going to rape their wives in front of them. We're going to rape, we'll, we'll even we'll rape the men. You know what I'm saying? We're going to beat them and demoralize them and emasculate them in front of their wives. And then with the, the men and women being separated from each other, babies being taken away from people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 
All of this stuff, people just acted like that was normal. Yeah, there were a very few small number of people that actually stood up and those people should be recognized. But why have their voices been eliminated? You know what I'm saying? We know about John Brown. And if we really go in and try to like study those people, we can start to find little whisperings of the very, very few white people that were real, true abolitionists. But most of them felt like, well, we, what could we do? We don't even know what to do. They were neutral. They, most white people were neutral when that was going on. And then, and then what happened? Like, well, why don't black people start businesses? Immediately out of slavery, the first generation out of, out of enslavement built entire cities, entire business districts. There were families in place. There were churches. There were funeral parlors. There were markets. There were import-export. There were local governments. There were schools. Every single thing that, that, that's needed for upliftment, for life. Black people did all of those things immediately out, out of enslavement. What happened? Dude, it's not critical race theory. It's not revisionist history. It's just tell the whole story. Those cities were burned down. Some of them were bombed. Uh, some of them had uh, you know, uh, freeways built through the middle of them. Some of them were flooded. Central Park was a neighborhood like that, that was leveled so that a park would be built. You know what I'm saying? Burial grounds. All of the, these treaties that were made with First Nations people that were completely entire massacres that just went, uh, you know, unreported. Christmas Day, people lynching, you know, l- lynching huge numbers of First Nations people on Christmas Day in, in the Minnesota area where I'm from, North Dakota, I think it was. I mean, go and read, go and, go and like, look, go and look, read, uh, bury my heart at wounded knee, read a people's history of the United States. Uh, you know, look at 12 years of slave, look at all of these things that come out and, and more and more of this stuff is starting to come out. But I was raised from the time I was a little kid in these, in these communities of like black freedom workers and communities and knowledge. I did a civil, I did a, a, um, um, a, uh, what do they call that? A railroad. The un- I did an underground railroad reenactment when I was like 14, 15 years old w- with black elders who had a rites of passage program that just treated me like I was part of the family and brought me along for stuff like that. And we had to go into the woods and we had to like hide and they had dogs come out and all of this stuff. I've been taught about this stuff since I was a little kid, since I was a child, since before I was an adult and then my whole adult life. This isn't new to me. So, you know, and so I've always been like, man, you know, and I, and I make a lot of mistakes, you know what I'm saying? And, and like people feel like I misrepresented myself and made people think I was black. And like, I, and when black people criticize me, it's like, I just listen, you know what I mean? And I consider like, man, what can I find here to that, that I, you know, uh, I think when, when, the, when the, a group of people is being oppressed, when they vocalize their feelings, their views and what they need, just shut up. And just listen. There's nobody in America that doesn't deserve critique from them. And so when they're talking and when they're speaking, just be quiet and figure out what part of the problem am I, because that's what part of the solution I can be. And, and to recognize that even the rectification of these things is for self. Like, man, how you're a human being, if your humanity, if you being a human being relies on being superior to somebody else, then you're saying, I am worthless too. I'm worthless. If I can't be somebody, if I can't have my, like the Europeans that came to America, if I can't have my project, if I can't have my, you know, uh, new world, 
without killing and doing a genocide and enslaving, if I can't do that, then what I'm saying is I have to push other people down because I don't believe in myself without my superiority to other people. That's what it ultimately means. So it's like, yo, all of this is, this is not charity for somebody else. This is me knowing like, man, I'm not fully human if I'm just stuck in this white supremacist colonial vision and version of life. This means that without somebody else suffering, being limited, dying, uh, being controlled, being subjugated, being lowered, you know what I'm saying? Then I'm then then I'm not free, and I'm not really fully human until I can recognize what humanity really is. And the way you know that is by recognizing the humanity in other people. And that's to me, it's, that's why it's so clear why Allah says in the Quran, stand up for justice. It's easy to recognize when you're being harmed. That's easy. Even when you got all the guns, even when you got all the money, even when you got all the, 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 the narrative behind you, even when you got the, the so-called international community behind you, even when you got all that to be like, I'm scared, I'm the victim, I'm always the victim no matter what. That is a very white supremacist worldview and idea. That's a way of being that like, I'm always the victim no matter what, because I am the pinnacle. I'm the center of the world. I'm sorry. That's not a way to be fully human. So I reject that mess. And a lot of people do, but I'm not going to be that. That's lowering me. I don't need somebody else to be lowered. I, I'm I'm benefited by seeing black people be great, and everybody is. There's nobody that sings, dances, worships, makes love, puts on clothes, tries to enjoy, like, like tries to really get to the world of meaning when all this stuff has been cut off in most of the dominant communities. The way that people access meaning is to go to the people that the material stuff has been stripped away from, who also just happen to be the common ancestor of human beings. Talking about African people. Again, that's not critical race theory. That's science. Like that's history. The human beings come out of Africa. The first human beings were dark people from the continent of Africa. That is a true reality. So, like, how am I not right if my parents aren't? If if my parents can't be recognized as human, how am I okay? You know what I'm saying? How am I anything if other people got to be demoralized, dehumanized, and limited in their movements, and even just the recognition of their ability to be a human being that knows what's best for themselves and can tell their truth and just be real? But then meanwhile, we turn around and steal all your stuff from you. We hate your music while you're doing it, and then we love it once we mimic it, once we learn how to do it. Usually 20 years later, by the way. It's going to be 20. We diss all this, all, all this current black music and culture, talk about how horrible it is, because it's going to take white people 20 years to catch up. And then some white people will come along and actually be really dope at it. Because at the end of the day, a white person underneath the, uh, the label of white is a human being. So you're going to get an Adele. You're going to get an Amy Winehouse. You're going to get somebody dope. You're going to get Aesop Rock. Yeah, yes, dope. No question about it. Why is it 20 years later, though? You know what I'm saying? How come it? How come it's so much later? Because of the disconnect. That's that's the disconnect, and so, so I'm fine with also the the social, the cultural, the you know, they they asked me to be on TV because they're like, oh man, here's this weird looking white dude that can really rap. Yeah, and yes, I can rap with the. I'll be in a room with anybody spitting bars, and I'm not I'm not a slouch next to anybody. 
You know, because I didn't learn how to rhyme from watching Yo MTV raps. I learned how to rhyme in the community, in black communities. And I, so, you know what I'm saying? And I had to re- like learn to really hold my own and show that I'm, you know, I had to earn it. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's how it should be. Like you don't come you don't come into a space that's not your space and think that you're entitled to it. What kind of sick way of that is being in the world? What kind of sickness is that? Because what you're acknowledging is I'm not home anywhere. I don't have a real home. So I got to go steal other people's homes and act like it was mine all along. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If you can't, if you can't have your new world without, without uh, uh, oppressing other people and killing them and taking their stuff and acting like they were never there to begin with and acting and delegitimizing somebody else, you are saying you're not legitimate. The, 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 the system of people that I come from says they're not legitimate. Why didn't they want to be German anymore? Why don't they? How come I don't know the tribes of my people? And I don't even, I had to take, I had to spit in a tube to find out where my ancestry is from. My family doesn't know. It's all seemed to be some big, like sick ass secret. Nobody knows. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to. And most people don't. Most people have to go try to search and find that stuff. Why don't you know, white Americans, why don't you know the tribe where you're from, the city where you're from? Why are you disconnected from the trees where you were, the water where you were, the language you spoke, the songs you sang, the way you worship, the way you ate, the way you danced? Why are you disconnected from that? Why am I disconnected from that? Because those people were oppressed there and they left. And so they, can't, they have this new idea of white. And what does white actually mean? What's the part of the world that's white? What's the way of worshiping God that's white? What's the music that's white? What is the love language of white? What the fuck does it actually mean? It doesn't mean a damn thing. Other than wherever I go, I'm better than the people there. I am homeless unless I'm stealing other people's stuff. And wherever I go, I've got a greater claim. God says I'm supposed to be here. Religions, the world's religions that come from those parts of the world were made white. The religions were appropriated. How come? How come? The, the, was Jesus white? Was Jesus from Europe? Why is the power structure of what they call Christianity European? And if I criticize that, it doesn't mean that I hate Christians. If I don't think the Constantinian, Roman Catholic, the the conquistadors, uh, uh, the, the evangelicals, the Christian nationalists, if I criticize what they do with their political power, with their armies, with their guns, with their bombs, with their with their printing presses, with their news outlets, with their narrative of the world... It, I have the right to criticize that without, I'm not, that's not me being hateful. That's me being a human being. I have the right to criticize that. And, and I'm not hate. Now, I also have to look at myself and say, and ask myself that question, is there something hateful? But, the, but then the question becomes, are there people in that group that I will uphold and one of the things that I say about, and, and this is one of the things that I've always known about, there are certain categories, there are certain experiences within whiteness where certain people are white, but they also in another aspect or in another element of their identity have a certain specific, they're also part of a group that's not the norm and, and in some cases is oppressed. 
So there are white people. So I'm saying I'm I'm legally white. And why do I keep saying it like that? Because I don't give a damn about being white. There's nothing in my heart that feels good about the idea of being white. There's nothing in my body that feels safe with that. There's nothing inside me. I so as a you know, and you think about that what you will. You know what I'm saying? And it, I, you know, think about that whatever you want. Legally and in terms of the the dominant narrative, that's what I am. So that gives me the right to say something about it because my family is also white. My experience is also white. I also inherited money from being white. I also inherited all sorts of, there are all sorts of laws and redlining codes and all sorts of legal legacy. I've inherited a legal legacy of being white. I don't, but on a heart level, I loathe it. I'm just going to tell you, I think it's related to the concept of the devil. Any type of supremacy that says I am better because I am a certain thing, I'm a certain, then that type of supremacy comes from, go back and listen a couple of weeks ago, the prayer of the oppressed, the story of creation that's given in the Quran. That's the one that I believe in. And Iblis tells God, I'm better than the human beings because uh, the human being is made from the, the, the mud, the dirt of the earth, the clay of the earth. I'm made from fire. I'm better than him. I'm not going to acknowledge your relationship with them. I'm not going to acknowledge even what you say they are. I'm better than them. The first one ever in creation to say the word I to the creator, to God. And then Iblis stops being called Iblis, which is Iblis's name, and starts to be called Shaitan, the devil. And then says that the human beings are all just notices that the human beings have a propensity to do a lot of harm and says that's all they are. And so that's also related when you show the worst version of, you know, I see people that show that that, that show the worst Israelis. I will not post those either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's Israelis that are saying super ugly things and doing so. That's not who they are. I will not say that they are the worst of who they are. You know what I'm saying? And I, I've always known that there are, there are people that are that are legally white, that are white, you know what I'm saying, racially, in terms of the racial hierarchy in the entire world that's been colonized and occupied. There are people that are legally white, that are culturally called white, that are just seen and understood to be white and even understand themselves to be white. But they also got something else going on in their life where they know something about oppression. So I'm saying... Uh, you know, I'm albino and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, you know, handicapped or whatever. I believe that that's given me another, so another viewpoint. People that have that experience, they, there's one of two ways you can go with that kind of like mixture of being white and being part of a group of people that's had a very specific challenge or maybe even been oppressed. You can either say, I am white. But I'm also, I also get all the, and I get all the benefits of being white, but I also get to be oppressed. And so there's an extra entitlement to that to say, well, like, no, I'm, I'm, I get all the benefits of being white, but I also get to, but I'm also oppressed. And so there's an extra level of entitlement that comes along with that. Or you can go the other way and say, yes, the world sees me as white, but I know something about what it is to be dehumanized, to, for my humanity to be questioned, maybe to even be unsafe. And for people saying they're unsafe when they just feel uncomfortable with their connection to some sort of uh, feeling of superiority or they're, they're like, 
their 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 identity being seen being believed. Like I believe I'm for, I'm part of the superior identity, and you telling me that that's not necessarily the case. That means I'm unsafe. No, I'm sorry. Unsafe is when somebody else has the power and the guns and the 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 narrative and control over the legal system that says you don't get to be fully human and you're in danger. Even your sense of your own humanity is in danger, not your sense of entitlement. The the idea of being safe or unsafe is based on that. So like so there are some people that'll say that are, that are white but also have experience with a group that's been through a type of challenge or real oppression or actually being unsafe. You know what I'm saying? The the Jews in the 30s, 40s and throughout time, there's real anti-semitism in the world. And the Holocaust happened. You know what I'm saying? And there are people that attack Jews. They're usually other white people by the way. You know what I'm saying? They're usually other white people based on white supremacy who are their white people. There's still some white people that, that like white supremacists and, and white extremists that, that even European Jews, they don't consider them to be white. So that's done in the name of whiteness, by the way. I'm here to speak for, I'm, I'm here to speak as a person who's legally white. Because we're right now we're talking about what happens with the guns, the money, the the so-called global community, the the people who control the media outlets. And I'm not, and I, this is not some uh, Jewish conspiracy. I'm talking about the white people that control the, the the media outlets. I'm not a Jewish conspiracy theorist. I'm not a Holocaust denier. I'm not a, you know, what I'm saying. And and I said all these last part to say that of all, I I keep track of white people that speak the truth about whiteness because it matters to me. And there's not a lot of them. So when they come along, they mean a lot to me and I keep track of them. My experience is that the most outspoken, passionate, articulate, focused, natural people that speak out from within are Jewish people. And most of what I repost is from them. Because I'm like those. It's important for those people to speak because, like, they're speaking from within. I I identify with that, but then also that specifically does not uh, promote anti-Semitism, which is a real problem in the world. And there are people that are physically unsafe because of because of anti uh, of anti and uh, you know even anti-Semitism is that's not an accurate enough term. I think because the Arabs are Semites, the Palestinians are Semites, the uh, the the Arab Muslims are Semites. You know what I'm saying? So we're talking about anti-Jewish, an anti-Jewish sentiment that becomes violent, that's had entire, I'm saying, man, the 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 Western world was anti-Jewish and they limited them and they they uh they they oppressed them, they put them in concentration camps, they they murdered them. You know what I'm saying, and they, and there's there's you know to this day all this like stuff about like these conspiracy theories and all this stuff. I'm not part of any of that, and nothing about critiquing uh, these these colonial projects is anti is anti Jewish. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not, and. For me, I, I have a long history of saying things that are deeply true to me that I just I feel in my body and in my soul and in my friendships and in my the communities that I've been connected with and people that I've done life with and sacrificed next to. And I've been physically unsafe. I, I've you know, I've been physically unsafe. I've been targeted by, harassed by, and threatened by the the 
FBI, by governmental powers that have let me know that they read my emails, that have, you know, they came to my house and scared my daughters on my birthday and took me out of my house and questioned me about all kind of legal stuff that I've done. And it's only because of my music. I'm a Muslim that travels and says the things that I says. That's supposed to be legal. That is supposed to be legal. I'm saying the, the, the oppression that I've faced is just from loving and telling the truth about my love and my witnessing for what happens to oppressed communities that I'm just even connected with because of the fact that they took care of me when, nobody, when it felt like nobody else wanted me. And so what's rough in this moment is like to be able to... and and. and and over and over again, I have listeners who are white that listen to me and I believe in the connection because I believe in where I'm coming from. I believe I'm coming from a place of truth, from of sincerity. I believe in what a human being is before all of these before those categories came along. I don't believe the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, said that every human being is born on the fitrah. The fitrah is the, the natural human. Uh, design that inclines towards goodness, that hates to oppress people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you, you read Frederick Douglass and what he said about, you know, that, that, that um, there was a time when he went to live with a white family that had never owned slaves. And he said the woman in that family was so loving and so beautiful. And she wanted, she wanted to teach me to read and she wanted me to be in the house and she wanted to take care of me. And she was so loving and so sweet. Her husband believed in white supremacy and slavery and racism. And after a while, he indoctrinated her to the point where she turned against me. And they became some of the most ugly people. You know what I'm saying? Uh, 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 Booker T. Washington, I'm, I'm sorry, um, Frederick Douglass wrote his slave narratives because he says, I, I know what that white woman was like before she was taught about what it was supposed to mean to be white. And he said, I got to believe in the humanity of the people that are called white, that before they were white, they were human. Their, their underlying nature is that if they knew what was really being done to human beings, they wouldn't support it. So he wrote those slave narratives because he wanted people to know what it was. He wanted the people that were called white to, he wanted to speak to their humanity. And some of them woke up and some, and some of them actually believed it. One of them was the wife of Abraham Lincoln. And because of her love for those people, they called her crazy. And because she's a woman and because they said women are hysterical and they're witches and they're they called her crazy. I don't think that woman was crazy. I think she lived in the White House knowing that Frederick Douglass and his people are human. And there are people that said, Frederick Douglass, there's no way he wrote that. There's no way a black person could have written that. A white person must have written him for him or he must be exaggerating or he must be lying. And Frederick Douglass's father was his own slave master, was his father who raped his mother, and then that's how he was born. And that was extremely common during that time. You know what I'm saying? And so they said, no, they, they everything to delegitimize this man. And then the white people that actually were inclined towards him, they called them crazy. And that's the first lady of the United States. And then that, and then, and, and uh, Abraham Lincoln said, look, if I could have saved the union without freeing a single slave, I would have done it. He said, if I could have just freed some of them and not others, I would have done it. And what happened? They shot him in the head and put him on the penny. 
I mean, you know what I'm saying? So like we even to love and even to care, there's consequences for that. And I'm cool with those consequences. But I'll I tell you, you know, I, 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 I speak from a place of love. People feel the love. The white people in my audience feel that I love them. And I really do because I believe in where I'm coming from. So when they respond to it, I believe that. You know what I'm saying? But the second, and I've, this has happened over and over and over. I've, I've been a public person with a white, with a largely white fan base for 20 some years now. Every time some issue comes up where I just tell the truth that I also love other people. You're not the only people I love. Yes, I love you. I love you so much. I'll tell you everything that's wrong with me so we can bond on it and cry about it and everything else. And I love you. And I, I really love you. And I really care about you. And I really will identify you in our humanity. I'll identify with you. But the second I love somebody else, then it's a problem. Then it's like, well, you know, you never loved me. Because loving me means that we're not supposed to recognize the humanity of these people. And I'm, exp and I'm having another round of that. I am having people that used to tell me in my, con in my DMs, I love you so much. I love you so much. I love you so much. I cry. You transformed my life. You saved my life. I was going to kill myself. I got your lyrics tattooed on me, all this stuff. And I'm just writing back. Thank, bless you for your good opinion. May Allah make me, may Allah, you know, uh, uh, heal what you don't know about me and make me better than you think I am. All this is, these are prayers from the Islamic tradition. You know, may Allah forgive me for what you don't know about me and rectify those things. Make me better than you think I am. Bless you for your good opinion. You know what I'm saying? I love you back. Love love back all the time. Love, 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 love. But then I start saying, hey, th these Palestinians, stop just calling them Hamas. Let's hear you talk about people. Let's hear you talk about Palestinian people that are human beings. Let's just talk about those human beings. And I love them. And they have. The, I believe they have the right to not be occupied. The same way I believe about the First Nations people. The same way I believe about uh, the, the, uh, the Irish. The Irish have the right to not be occupied and controlled by the British. And when I spit in a tube, it said I was British. The, and, and, and when the Irish fought back, even like I don't believe that human beings should ever kill another innocent human being. I believe in the Quran. The Quran says you kill an innocent life, it's like you killed all of humanity. If you protect an innocent life, it's like you protect all of humanity. And that's true across the board. In, in the, the Sharia never gives us permission to kill an innocent human being, even if we're being oppressed. That's what the Sharia says. That's true. It's also true that every group of people that has been systematically dominated, occupied over a period of time, at, when they try to fight back militarily, when they're not allowed to do that, when they try to speak and they're not allowed to do that, when they try everything and they're not allowed to do it, some f element of them strikes out, the, the, you know what I'm saying? And they, they burn down a neighborhood, they, they shoot back, they've, you know somebody is going to lash out. Somebody from that group of people is going to lash out in a way where innocent people gets, get harmed. That's what happens when you oppress somebody for that long. It's, it's one of the ugly things that happens when you dominate somebody and when you oppress them. So is it justified? No, but it also has a, it, it also has a cause. It also has a, a, a cause. Like, no, it's not good. It, but it's a symptom of, a, of an illness. It's a symptom of a problem. And they dehumanize, like, I, you know, Sinead O'Connor just recently passed away. Allah have mercy on her. They called Sinead O'Connor crazy. Sinead O'Connor converted to Islam. 
Sinead O'Connor ripped up a, a, a picture of uh, the Pope because she was she was expressing righteous indignation, not with all Christianity. She wasn't doing that to diss Cornell West. She wasn't doing that to diss Chance the Rapper. She was talking about the Catholic Church and its political and oftentimes militarized power. That's what she was criticizing. She didn't kill it. She, you know, she was talking about that. But look at what she says. You know, she says that we had a potato famine that was manufactured by the British who were colonizing us, who were oppressing us. And it went back hundreds of years. And so the IRA started blowing up cars and started starting blowing up people's stuff. As a Muslim, I can't say I believe in that. I don't. The, the, the Sharia of Islam is like no matter what somebody else does to you. You don't lose your dignity. That's what the Sharia of Islam says. I, I have to say that I, that's what I believe in. And I'm actually happy saying that. I hope that in that situation, if I would not harm innocent people. And whenever the FBI pulls me off a plane or pulls me out of my house or pulls me out of line, I always ask them, let's start with this. Before you ask me a question, I'm asking you a question. Do you think that I've harmed anybody physically? Do you think I've ever encouraged anybody to harm anybody physically? Or are you just here because I'm expressing ideas? Because under your constitution, that's supposed to be legal. I'm supposed to be able to criticize. I'm supposed to be able to criticize especially power. That's what, this, that's what, the, that's what that First Amendment is supposed to be about. I'm supposed to be able to criticize how people use their power, whether it's you know, whatever type, whatever form that power takes, I'm supposed to be able to criticize that. And so I'm having people have full on mental breakdowns in my comments that used to tell me how much they love me, that now believe that I hate them. And that now, you know, and, and, and there, are, there are people that I know and love that are weird around me now. And my, my, my tool, my weapon, my currency, my language is love. I love. And I hope that, and I'm saying, and there's times where that's not what I do. There's times where I get petty. There's times where I just, you know, pop off because it's what I want to do. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're, yes, they're, yes. But I've not done that. I've not done, like, I, in this situation that we're talking about, you know, I, I had a I had a prominent person in the music business that I only know tangentially. This is a person who does not respect me, who's dissed me publicly, uh, who has never supported me business wise. This is a person who I don't talk to. I've seen them a couple times, and I've actually expressed love for them because I see this person as somebody who just wants acceptance like everybody else, and I relate to that. And I've told this person, I love you, and I do love him. But I had somebody reach out to me in my DMs just to tell me, you know, well, be careful, you know, be, be you know, the, the, what you're saying now could be misunderstood by somebody to be harmful to my group. And it's like, dude, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? Where have I ever said that any group of people is isn't deserving of love and isn't deserving of their rights and isn't deserving of and so not to center myself but I just I want to share that also you know and I didn't respond to the person 
Because I'm like, I wasn't talking to you. And we're not speaking the same language. And I'm sorry, I don't respect when people only speak up for their own people. I don't respect when you only post or you only share when your people are being taught. I don't respect that. I don't respect that. That's not what that's not what black Americans have done. Why are so many I'm saying and I got it man so much love for Amanda Seals. I man I've always loved Amanda Seals. You know what I'm saying? I've always loved and she she came on the podcast and we had a great conversation and she went on and told her audience which is mostly black women She's just like, yo, this Brother Ali guy, he's a spiritual guy. He communicates on this high spiritual plane. Check out his podcast. You know what I'm saying? And that's been my experience over and over again. You know what I mean? And if they click on me and they just see this big, like, big head white dude trying to rap or whatever, and just be like, I don't know. It's cool. You know, but like, man, Mark Lamont Hill. Why, why are black Americans who are the children of enslaved Africans actually experiencing real... Mark Lamont Hill lost his job for speaking up for the Palestinians. Just for saying it, I'm saying across the board, and most of what I do is, is, is repost and, and like these amazing Jewish voices, white Jewish voices. I'm saying I'm not, in, I'm not super into political candidates, you know what I mean? I just you can't. You might not like Bernie Sanders' policies. You might not like his his political perception perspective. But I'm come on, man. How do you not love that guy? How do you not see sincerity in the guy? How do you not see? And for him to say, as a Jewish man, who you know, who I believe was, I mean, it proved they proved that he was pushed out of the Democratic Party. He was pushed out of the process. You know what I'm saying? And Bernie Sanders is like, these are human rights atrocities that are being committed. These are atrocities. Gabor Mate, forgive me if I'm not pronouncing his name right. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the author Sim Kern. Uh, Sim is an author that I just became aware of during this process. You know what I'm saying? There's certain people, but you know, that, that, like I'm saying, are extremely outspoken and very courageous. You know what I mean? But I know Jewish people and black people that are losing jobs, that are losing their, their because of just saying Palestinians are human beings and their humanity deserves to be tracked and, and acknowledged and protected and just like everybody else. So this is this is another rough chapter, you know what I mean? This is another rough chapter. And I will say one of the things that pains me is the fact that I have real life friends who somehow are not sure whether or not I love them because of their connection to the political to a political power. And and The idea that somebody thinks I don't love them, that, that hurts, that, that really bothers me. That really bothers me. Because I love you. But I'm not going to just love you. I'm not going to love you exclusively to, you know. 
And the fact that I love people that you're in conflict with doesn't mean I hate you. And you don't get to accuse me of that. Not even in your heart. You don't get to accuse me of not loving you when you know damn well that I will stand up for any of anybody uh, against my own interest all the time, all the time. When people, you know, uh, may Allah heal us, you know, may Allah give us good, may, may Allah rectify us. May Allah uh, allow us to, you know, Allah says that it's not the eyes that go blind, but the heart that goes blind. And I know, I, I might, I, there, it's, it's almost certain that I've got blind spots. Brother Ali is blind. I'm legally blind. That means I can see some things and other things I can't. But I'm sorry, I mean, you know, Cat Stevens is not a hateful person. Bernie Bernie Sanders is not a. I almost said Bernie Mac. He also wasn't a hateful person. <laughs> Bernie Sanders isn't a hateful person. Uh, Dr. Cornell West is not a hateful person. Uh, who's um, the president? Jimmy Carter is not a hateful person. To accuse people of hate, it's 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 one of the most emotionally violent. That's an emotional type of violence to say, no, you're actually hateful. Mm -mm. False. You know, and I don't need everybody to agree with me. And I, ha I understand like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, there are people that are going to, that are going to ride with their own people. I also understand that especially when your people have been persecuted and are still today. But when you got the guns and when you got the planes and you got the bombs and the missiles and when the biggest superpowers are giving you trillions of dollars and all that stuff, you're on the hook for what you do with that. What you do with your bombs and your planes and your guns and your missiles and, and your ability to control other people, you're on the hook for that. And that's how human you are to me. That's how human you are. That's what it means to, to now be part, you know, if at some point you weren't considered human or white and now you are, and now you're backed by America and Britain who are the, the biggest colonizers in the world. And again, I'm legally American. And when I spit in the tube, it said I was British and German like, come on, man. I am, I am legally and probably genetically connected to the people that have colonized the world. And I'm just saying I'm recognizing what that white supremacist colonialism is. Doesn't mean that all the, the people in Israel are white. Doesn't mean that they are. But that, that is a force that operates in a certain way. It's a worldview that can be embodied and enacted by anybody. There are people in Brazil that are the white people of Brazil. Of course, when they leave Brazil, they're not considered white, but they treat the black Brazilians a certain way and limit them and their life opportunities are controlled by white supremacy in Brazil and the Dominican Republic and, you know, India and Saudi Arabia. And, you know what I'm saying? 
uh, I don't think somebody's Islamophobic if they disagree with Saudi Arabia as a government, even though they control the holy sites, or if they criticize Iran, Iran, or if they criticize ISIS, or if they, none of those things, or if you criticize something that the imams or the mosques or whatever, if you criticize a statement that some uh, imams made about, uh, about LGBT, doesn't mean you're Islamophobic. Now, if you start saying all Muslims are this way, or if you can't seem to find a Muslim that you that you look up to, then we got then we got to talk about your anti-Muslim hatred. If you think that the if you think that the that 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 your enemies or the people that that are you're threatened by within my group, if those are the the realest group to you, now you're now that's hateful. If I was to say that the worst of what I see in settlers in the Middle East, if I were to say that though that's who you really are, then I'm hateful. But if I say that, hey, you're brave truth tellers that I actually agree with, that's the best of who you are, and I actually look up to them and admire them, you know what I'm saying? Sim Kern got threats. I wish that I could go and be a bodyguard for Sim Kern. I can't. I can't. I can't fight like that. <laughs> And I got kids, and you know what I'm saying. But like, if 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 I see the 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 ones of you that I respect the least, if that's how I, if that's what I say you all are, if that's how I identify all of you, that's hateful. So if you say if if we're talking about Palestinians and all you keep coming back to is Hamas, 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 that's hate. It's not hate to say. To, to have righteous anger for what's been done. That's different. So I got people that talk about, you know, the hostages. I never will consider that to be hateful. You know, uh, may Allah rectify us. May Allah heal us. May Allah give us good. May Allah make us people that are not oppressors of ourselves. May us people that may Allah make us people that uh, give everything its complete right. And ultimately, that's what the Sharia is trying to do. And whether or not you believe in Islam, you're going to have a different opinion about that, and that's fine. You don't have to believe what I believe. The most important thing to me is that the divine is one. And that, you know, the, the Prophet Muhammad and the other prophets and, that you know, that there is such a thing that, that, that the human being actually is, there are apex human beings that there are, that, and that they come from every uh, walk of life and that there are people who are actually exemplars of the human condition. I believe that. I believe that the human being is the best of who we are, not the, we, not the worst of who we are. That's what I believe. And all of that, to me, is when I say, La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, that's what's meant by that. That's the most important thing to me. Um, for me and you to have love, I don't need you to believe that. I don't need you to believe that. Um, you know, and, and I don't need to see the world through, the, through your lens either. You know, I don't need you to affirm my identity and I might not affirm yours. But on a human level, we need to be able to, to tell the truth. And that basic humanity applies to everybody. And, you know, my, my, Dr. Cornell West, dear friend of mine, you know, is a Christian. 
And, um, you know, he always acknowledges it. He always cites the Bible when it says, to the extent that you have done to the least of these, you know. So when we really know, and what the Quran says, stand out for justice, even if it's against yourself and your people, you know, that's how we see what we really feel. You know what I'm saying? A lot of people don't like Muslims. Just be real about that. And there's been a lot of messaging that's gone into that. You know, and this idea that it's the West against Islam. I'm sorry, like I know too much about Islamic history and world history to know that that's just, that's a really, really corny way to present world history. Because there is no West without Islam and there's no Islam without the West. It's just ridiculous. Like the idea that there's these binaries in the world, you know. But okay, a, a lot of people dislike Arabs. And just admit, just admit that like, admit to the self, like if you think that all Arabs and, you know, you think all Palestinians are Arabs, you think all Palestinians are Muslim, you think all Palestinians are whatever. If you think that somehow they deserve all the violence that happens to them because they're all hateful, violent, vengeful people that just want to kill everybody. If you think that whole group of people is uh, the, is vengeful and hateful and crazy and then you're racist. Like that's what that is. That's the definition of what that is. And if it's and and what what the, what Cornell West and the, the best what I love about the Christian tradition says to the extent that you do that for the least of these in your mind and in the vision of the world. And what the Quran says is, tell the truth and stand up for justice, and don't let your personal prejudices sway you. So, what are your personal prejudices? Like, just be real about the fact that, hey, I'm, if you're human, you're human enough to have prejudices. And so that that that's a that's the real question is like how human are the Palestinians to, to you know how human are the Palestinians and what seems to be the answer in the global community is none you know the the you know uh, Joe Biden was asked what's the line what, how many what's the line for what would be too many Palestinians to kill and he said there's not one. Hmm. I see. You know, I live in between the Ukraine and Palestine. That's where I live right now. I live in between the two, and the the difference in response is duly noted. And I just reposted a clip. If you go and look, is all these reporters saying, "I know, you know, but you see the Ukrainians." And they're Christian and they're white and it's unthinkable. You know, these aren't these aren't Arabs. These aren't Syrians. These aren't refugees. These aren't people that have been at war for a hundred years. These are white people. And it's so I just, you know, I can't stand to see it happening to white people. I mean, from the words of of from I mean, that's the word, that's the word. Those are the words and those are the sentiments of the West. May Allah rectify us. Uh, may Allah give us, as, as Dr. Omar Farouk Abdullah says at the beginning of my video, eyes with which to see, ears with which to hear, hearts with which to love and to do good. You know? And may we, may we get it right. And ultimately, ultimately, those of us who believe as we do, as I do, that all this material stuff is going to die and it's all going to decay and it's all going to be gone.
It's all going to be gone. All of it is temporary. What's permanent is the world of meaning. And all of us end up without our, with none of this material stuff, even the opinions of others. Because everybody that, everybody that knows us also dies. And everybody that remembers us also dies. There are so many people who nobody living right now even remembers them. So we're all literally alone with the source of all meaning, which what I would say is God, Allah, Jehovah, Yahweh. We're alone with God and what we did and who we were and how we were and what we intended and what we supported and what we said and didn't say and did and didn't do and contributed to and didn't contribute and help and you know who we supported, who we neglected, who we, it's just going to be us. And at that moment, we all know we need grace and mercy. If we're sincere and if we're honest with ourselves, if we're not blinded by our own uh, egotistical, narcissistic self of sense of, of identity, that like, well, my identity is I'm always good no matter what. Mm-hmm, not me. I don't want to be part of anything like that, that thinks that me and my people are always right. And if there's a conflict, we're always the victim. No. And there are Muslims like that. I'm not interested. I don't want to be lumped in with those people. I was at a conversation today with some dear Muslim brothers, and it's interesting that the the conversation within religious Muslim circles is like, if we were more like our prophet, we wouldn't be having this problem. If we actually embodied the message of Muhammad, the prophet, Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, wa ala alayhi wa sahbihi ajma'een, prayers and peace be upon him and his family and his companions, all of them. If we really embodied these beautiful principles that we talk about, we wouldn't be having this pro- these problems. That's the, that's the talk from within. Because it's like to critique from within is, you know. So I'm at breakfast with these brothers and it's like, man, if we really were like, you know, the great, the great uh, Caliph Omar, Allah be well pleased with him, who was the first governor, Muslim governor of Jerusalem, who came in and said, why have you desecrated the, the sites of the, of the Jewish community? And, you know, the, the Roman Catholics had made it a, a dump, and they dumped garbage there. And Omar, the dear friend of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, the head of the Muslim army, the head of the Muslim community and world at that time, came in and began cleaning the trash with his own hands. These are stories that we take pride in. You can believe them or not, but it's true that we take pride in these stories. And that he asked the the Christians on their way out, not on their way out, but on their way out of control, out of power, of governorship, you know. Because also he didn't expel them, by the way. He didn't expel the Christians either. Matter of fact, they said, uh, why don't you honor us and pray in our church? And he said, no, I'm not going to pray in your church, Omar, the Khalifa. He said, because if I pray in your church, the Muslims after me will turn it to a mosque, and we can't take your religious site away from you. We have to honor. He said, I'll pray outside. And so now outside, there's a mosque called Masjid Omar. You know, but, it, but when they were the governors and the Muslims became the leaders of that place, they said, where are the Jews? There's got to be Jews in Jerusalem. They said, oh, no, there are no Jews in Jerusalem. They said, what did you do with the Jews in Jerusalem? They have to be here. And then when Salahuddin uh, became the, the governor again, excuse me, of that land again, he said to the conquistadors, where are the Jews? He said, no, they're not here. This is a Christian, this was a Christian land. He said, okay, but 
You can't have Jerusalem without the Jewish community. They're descendants from prophets that lived in this place. They have to be here. We dishonor God if we don't have those people here. And so they came and actually made deals to bring them back. And then when the, when the Christians were kicking the Muslims and the Jews out of Europe, uh, Bayezid II, who was the, the sultan of, of the Ottoman Empire, put out a national, a, a global call that said Jewish people that are being expelled from Europe can come here and they have to be full citizens. And you have to rent to them. You have to do business with them. You have to buy and sell from them. And you can't oppress them and you can't discriminate against them. And he wrote a letter that's in the, the archives of the Ottoman Empire, that's in the Ottoman archives. There's a letter that he wrote to the heads of the Europeans that, that, that expelled the Jewish people from Europe. And he said, you've impoverished yourself and you've enriched us. Because this is a community, this is a very special group of people. So these are stories that when we study history, these are stories we take pride in. And you can say, well, that you're just telling that from your perspective. And, a lot, and everybody tells their stories from their perspective. So even if you want to dis, you know, even if you want to uh, challenge the validity of the story, the fact that Muslims take pride in those stories says something about who at least we aspire to be as people. And again, I wasn't born a Muslim. I became one when I was 15 years old, you know. So I, I, there's just no way to end this. So I just have to wrap it up. But... If you're hearing this, I love you, uh, and I also love everybody else. I don't love just you, and and you know, um, I, I am certainly uh, am certainly well aware that I don't know what my blind spots are, but I'm sure that I have them. And so, all of us at the end of the day, we need grace and mercy. And all of us at the end of the day are going to die in these material bodies. And it's just going to be us and what we did. And um, so I'm willing to sacrifice a lot. I guess, okay, here's, here's how I'll end this one. I'm willing to sacrifice a lot. What I don't want to sacrifice and what I'm not willing to sacrifice is the truth that everybody within the sound of my voice, I love you. And it's not right to accuse me or anybody else of hate, because I also love the people that you are differing with. Even if you're meeting them on a battlefield, doesn't mean that I don't love you because I also love them. And may we always be that way. And may any, uh, may any inconsistency or chink in, in that armor, may that be rectified. We ask Allah to rectify us of that. Love you all. Uh, inshallah, next week we'll be back with a, with a guest and we'll be back on our format. Inshallah, I hope next week. Thank you for rocking with us through all of this. Uh, we always end by saying, may your condition, may your state be peace. May you, have, may you be blessed and may you be enveloped in the mercy of the divine. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.